0: Paul said to live as Christ. In four short little bitty syllables, he explained the why and the what of his earthly existence. This is so important. In fact, apart from asking the Lord to regenerate you, there is no more life transforming statement you could make or think about. Why was Paul living Christ in one syllable? What was the point of his living? Christ. And that is the secret. That is what gave him biblical success. And that's why it's important for all of us to think about this from time to time. And maybe you have already nailed it and you're living a Christocentric life. Praise God. But I know that I continue to wrestle with this. I I share my articles, not as one who has arrived, but they're autobiographical. I am wrestling through these things in real time. And so the question that I want to put before you in today's podcast, how do you explain your why and what for living on this planet? If someone were to ask you, well what would you put in the blank to live is what would you put in that blank welcome to the podcast you're listening to your daily drive i am rick thomas if you want to find this podcast there is a 2000 plus word on our website rickthomas.net and it's free to you and so please jump on the website you can print it someone sent an email today asking about printing an article scroll to the bottom. If you go right to the bottom, you'll see a print feature and you can print it off in a PDF. I praise God for those types of questions. I mean, it helps me to know that people are printing them off and they're using them, collecting them, sharing them, and I'm so glad. You don't have to print them off. You can just share the URL in the navigation uh, up at the top of your Uh, computer or your mobile device, and and you can share it with a friend. But uh, that brings me great joy to hear that people do that. To find this article, the title of it is Letter to God. I need to die. Will you help me? The title comes out of what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 1. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And Paul was talking about being in chains. He's talking about going through suffering, but yet while going through suffering he is experiencing joy and you could say that the theme to philippians is a book of joy and so there is a correlation here between what our presupposition is to live as christ and the joy that we experience and therefore there's an implication here that we need to die to ourselves And that's why I titled the podcast, Letter to God, I Need to Die, Will You Help Me? And if you're going to be Christocentric in your life, well, then dying is the only option that you have before you to get to that satisfying, joyous place. And so let me ask you, how would you answer the question? What is your presupposition? What is the central theme of your life? Paul, for Paul, it was Christocentric. He was Christ-centered. How about if I lay it out for you in a fill-in-the-blank statement? It can go like this, for me to live is, and then you fill in that blank. What would be your response to this presuppositional query? You know that a presupposition is the window through which you view all of life. It gives you an interpretive grid. None of us are objective. We're all subjective, and so we need, we all not need, we all have a filter through which we Uh, look at life and respond to life's circumstances, respond to other people. Therefore, we want to make sure that that glass is Christ. Whatever you place in the blank, it sets the course for the most significant events in your life, as well as all the mundane ones. Your presupposition governs how you think about your circumstances. Your presupposition directs how you respond to your circumstances. Your presupposition controls how you navigate through your circumstances, and your presupposition sets the course for and the outcome of your future. And so it governs, it directs, it controls, it sets. Paul's was Christ. Another way to think about this presupposition idea is to uh, think like a foundation, like a rock or sand. Your ruling worldview is your foundation upon which you will stand or fall. Everybody has a to live is fill in the blank. Everybody has one. Something defines all of us. It's a perspective that's so important that reflecting on this subject is worthy of your time. As I to have been wrestling with it, writing out this article. The Lord Jesus was the filter through which Paul gazed upon the ebb and the flow of his experiences. Paul had a, a built-in guarantee to life, and there is a built-in guarantee to life. If you well, It doesn't matter if you get Christocentric or, or have some other centric thing in the middle, but for Paul, there was a built-in guarantee of biblical success. And as you look at his life, it's like, wow, he had had a hard time, thorn in the flesh, and a whole lot of other trouble. That's why I define success with biblical success, because sometimes we can have a cultural interpretation of success, and, well, God's not offering. That's not a promise that that we are guaranteed, but you are guaranteed biblical success if you have a, a Christocentric presupposition. And so you can think about it like two absolute truths. One of them says, if your blank says, fill in the blank, if it says to live is Christ, your predetermined future will be soul-satisfying. Now, it may be rocky. There will be valleys. There will be deserts. There will be mountains. But the predetermined end is soul-satisfying. Now, if you fill your blank with something else, well, your future will not be satisfying. And so what Paul was doing in Philippians, in the letters to the Philippians, he was explaining why he was not discouraged about being in chains. He had a God-centered definition that empowered him through his daily circumstances. Every person knows what is most important to them. Now, if you're unsure, well, maybe this will help. The way that you discern what governs you is by how you respond to life's circumstances. And so you don't need to take a poll to figure out what your treasure is. All you need to do is examine how you responded to your last disappointment. I mean, maybe it would be good that you turned the tape off. Yes, I'm 61 years old. We, we had we had albums, and then we had eight tracks, and then we had cassettes, and then micro cassettes, and okay, you know. All right, so maybe what you can do is hit the pause on your mobile device and just take a moment to think about a recent frustration. How did a Christ-centric presupposition empower you through it? Say you were in prison and you were in chains. Well, you want a Christocentric presupposition. And so maybe you would ask the question in another way. I didn't have a Christocentric presupposition. Well, how did the thing that you center your life on empower you through it? Because Paul found living for Christ as preeminent, well, his practical focus, how he lived his life, was about gospel advancement. Do you hear the formula here? Your precious, whatever is most important to you, will determine the values you hold and the direction that you take. And so whatever is going on in your heart, the dynamics, your animating center will determine the path that you take. Now, for Paul, because he was Christocentric, the practical application or outworking of that was gospel advancement. This is how he said it in Philippians 1, I'll give you verses 12 through 14. He said, "I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to the adv- to advance the gospel. So that it has been become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much bolder to speak the word without fear. Let me see why I titled this podcast, Letter to God, I Need to Die, Will You Help Me? Because we do find ourselves in difficult, sometimes horrific circumstances, as Paul was describing here, But because he lived for Christ, the circumstance wasn't the preeminent thing in his life. But Christ was, and because Christ was the preeminent thing, it set the trajectory for gospel advancement, which is what he's saying in Philippians 1. It has served to advance the gospel. Paul was under God's control, which kept him from being distressed by his life circumstances. The things that that happened to him became instruments it's an instrumentation for the gospel's advancement rather than a means that led to his despair. Paul was a one trick pony. He was a Johnny one note. His worldview defined how he thought about life and the circumstances that came to him. If you ask him, he was, you could say, gospel centered. He's a one trick pony, Christ centered. That was it, to live as Christ. Johnny won, boom, boom, boom. That's what he said every time. It gave him a true north that kept his heart from the ditch of ongoing disappointment. I mean, sure, he was disappointed, but he didn't stay in the ditch of ongoing disappointment. That There's a difference between discouragement, like episodic, and a pattern of discouragement. Yes, we will all be discouraged from time to time, but we we don't want to stay in a pattern ongoing, and Paul was not in a pattern of ongoing despair because to live was Christ. Knowing the Lord is in your mess should bring huge encouragement even when there is seemingly no way out of your trouble. There is, There is another implied formula here. It goes like this, if Christ is your chief aim, whatever circumstances you are in is for the gospel's advancement. You see that straight line there. From the chief aim in your heart, which is Christ, it rolls out to gospel advancement. It continues, which will return for your good, God's fame, and the benefit of many. If you were to go back and read Philippians 1 verses 12 and 14, you would see that formula. To live is Christ. Because of that, there was an advance of the gospel. It came back, it returned for his good God's fame, and as he talked about in that passage, the benefit of many, including the imperial guard. Paul perceived how the Lord was simultaneously working suffering and triumph into his life that provided him a massive platform for usefulness. When difficulty came his way, Paul was not asking why it was happening, but how the challenge will become the springboard for more significant usefulness in God's world. It does remind me of a question. I asked the Lord the day that I learned that someone had murdered my oldest brother in June of 1987. When I got that news, the tragedy made no sense. It was my own prison. And by the way, the sermon that I, the message that I gave at my brother's funeral a, a few days later was out of the idea of Philippians, the ruler. Uh, in uh, the the jailer in in philippi where uh, there was a earthquake that came and and the the jailer asked the question what must i do to be saved and that's what the lord gave me as far as a message to give to the folks that were at the funeral that day and the reason that i gave that message is because i asked the question lord this tragedy makes no sense but i knew i know that you're up to something And so I asked him, what good was he working? Because I could not see it in the moment. But that's the Christocentric mentality that you want. Now, I did learn that there was a long list of things that he wanted to accomplish. Now, we're 30 30 years later, the rearview mirror provides that perspective of knowing that, oh, you did this and this and this and that. And so that perspective, 30 years later, I can see when I ask the question, what does this mean? How can the gospel advance? And the gospel most certainly did advance. Now, this brings us to the most extraordinary question a Christian can ask. Who or what will be your preeminent aspiration to live for in your life? Now, I have written out a response to this question, which brings me back to the title of the podcast, Letter to God, I need to die. Will you help me? And so I have written out a letter. This is how I have processed what I'm communicating here in this podcast, is I have wrestled with God about the vacillation of my heart when it comes to fully submitting to him. Now, I am not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that I have arrived. I continue to wrestle. I die daily, and you understand that. None of us fully attain. And so this is continual striving uh, to, to maintain that place of being Christocentric. And so I want to share with you the letter that I wrote to the Lord, and you can grab this out of this article. It's sitting right here for you. Dear Lord, trouble has come into my life. I have been a picture of suffering, I know you are the sovereign God of the universe, and you're working all things into my life for your glory, my ultimate benefit, and the good of others. I am your servant. You are my God. I am the clay in your hands, and you're doing good work at this moment for more excellent work Later. Though I cannot perceive all of the goodness you're bringing because of the trial, I trust you. I am learning to rely on you who is omniscient and omnipotent. Thank you for caring for my life. Thank you for always turning my bad into our mutual. Good. Thank you for not answering my questions the way that I wanted you to, but consistently driving me into a deeper trust in you. Rather than me being on this endless hunt for the perfect answer to why bad things happen to people like me, you have given me a trust that transcends my trouble." This perspective sets my mind and my life aright and sends me in a better direction. It's not a direction that provides the reasons for trouble, but it helps me find more significant discoveries about your person and power. I no longer have to put you on trial. I don't have to have all the answers. All I need to know is that you are for me, and you have forever answered this by the death and resurrection of your Son. There is not a more profound statement that you could make that communicates to me the great love that you have for me by giving yourself as a sacrifice for all of my sin, past, present, and... And future and to free me from the bondage of sin in a definitive way and then empowering me so that I can continue to grow up in my faith. I have one job, which is to trust you and you alone. This single thing, by your grace, I will do. Apart from your grace, I cannot do. Please keep me from being a problem-centered Christian where my friends and enemies know more about my problems than you. Each time I exalt my struggles above you, may your sweet Holy Spirit penetrate the darkness of my heart and relieve me from this self-induced torture. I don't want my problems to be a big P in my life in Christ to be a lowercase C. And so Lord help me to flip this mental narrative, to break any strongholds or any thoughts that are trying to take my mind captive so that I can truly be Christocentric, not problem-centered. Release me to love you fully. It will only happen when the wine press of your love, crushes me entirely. What I'm asking will not remove my problems, necessarily, but it will transform them into a sweet wine of joy that will benefit me, bring healing to others, and glory to you. This hard work from you will adjust my attitude, it will adjust my thoughts, it will reframe how I think and what I say, and thus it will adjust my actions, the behaviors, the life that I live practically in front of you and, and others. It is my preparation for the day when there will be no more sin, no more death, no more suffering. But dear God, I Don't want to wait until that day to find release from the tentacles of evil in my life. Can you free me today? As John Donne said, batter my heart, three-person God. For you as yet but knock and breathe and shine and seek to mend. So as you knock, breathe. In me and shine your ever-loving, illuminating spirit light in me to seek to mend me, that I may rise and stand, overthrow me, and, and bend your force to break, to blow, to burn, and make me new. John Donne said these things. And so initially I want you to knock breathe and shine. And if that does not work, I want you to I want you to break, blow, burn, and make me new. And though this thinking is otherworldly, it is not outside of your purposes or your power. you can bring transformative grace into my life. I want to be. More of a man of love, more of a man of grace, more of a man of humility. I need what you are doing to me to make me the man I need to be. It won't come easy. I have a rebellious mind who wants to thrust off your ways for my ways. I'm in a lifetime battle that will challenge me as each trouble, adverse circumstance, and disappointment comes. Your divinely prescribed and timed trouble teaches me not to depend on myself, but on you, the only person who can raise the dead. Please elevate me to this higher level of living for me to live is Christ. God, would you make that real for me today? I want to live for Jesus right now, knowing the best life I can have and the only one that I should desire is him. Because Jesus is in me, I, I desire to live for him. The only way I can live for him is by dying to myself. Let this prayer, my Lord, be my life's definition. To live a life apart from Christ would have no meaning at all. To live as Christ has not always been my passion. You know this. As we both look in the rearview mirror of my life, we see many passions, many false lovers that I have adhered myself to, thinking that that would bring me the satisfaction only to be those pasted pearls. I have lived for many false lovers that have given shape and definition to me. For example, Lord, a desire to be wealthy, A desire to be healthy, a desire to be strong, a desire to be approved, a desire to be safe, a desire to be superior, a desire to be comforted, a desire to be pleased, a desire to be successful, a desire to be happy. Lord, all of these desires are not wrong in and of themselves. But when those desires, when they morph into something that has a power over me that supplants my Christocentricness, then these good desires aren't good any longer. Though the Lord Jesus has been with me, he has not always been the singular purpose of my life. Cornelius Plantiga said In an egocentric culture, the self exists to be explored, indulged, and expressed, but not disciplined or restrained. Dear Father, I am guilty of this crime against your sovereign highness. This error in judgment has made me vulnerable to life's vicissitudes. It has has left me licking the earth. Please let Christ be my most precious treasure. God, as I finish this letter, I will finish it with John Donne, who continued to say in his sonnet, Better My Heart, he said, take me to you, imprison me. For I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, your child. The title of the podcast and what I just read to you and the other things that I've said is letter to God, I need to die. Will you help me? I trust it makes sense now, the title. And you're welcome to take this letter that I've written to the Lord that could communicates my deepest passion, even though I do not consistently live this way, which is so true as my family would, would testify. But ultimately, I want to find myself, even though I say it with a bit of caution, in Gethsemane in the wine press, crushed, because I know that it is only through my death that I will truly live, and that is the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. To give up your life is to gain life. To, to walk away from the world is to gain everything, and that means that I have to wrestle through this idea of dying, hence the title to this podcast and article. I'm not living this prayer the way that I desire. I do want to restate that. I am a work in progress. Though there is forward momentum, praise God. Now, if this prayer resonates with you, my appeal is for you to make it yours. Find a comfortable place and read it to your Heavenly Father or the one that you script for yourself. Plead with him to change you. And then after you finish with your interchange, begin working through the action items. I want to give you three action items here in just a moment. A journal would be great. A trusted friend would be heavenly. And so I want to wrap up this podcast. I'm in the call to action section now at the bottom of the article. And I want to share with you three things that I trust that maybe you could make as your action items. Number one, no big pictures. Ask the Lord to stop you from the need to see the big picture. You don't need to know all the contours of the story. You need to know God, for to live is Christ. Understanding the reasons and The answers, it could tempt you to place your faith in what you know, the answers, the known outcome, rather than who you know. Paul did not know the outcome of any specific circumstance, hard circumstance, that he was going through, but to live is Christ. And so he had Christ, he was centered on Christ, he didn't have the big picture, but because of that, because he had Christ, he had hope. The Lord is calling you to trust him rather than the mysterious facts that make up your trouble. And so point number one, no big pictures. Number two, see the real struggle. The thorns the Lord brings into your life will, will tempt you to not deal with the right thing. If you focus on the wrong thing, your problems will be more complicated. And that, that, that has happened so many times. To me, and it's probably happened to some of you as well, we can get so focused on the wrong thing that we complicate the issue. Ask the Father to show you where you must fixate the real idolatry of your heart. If there is one, ask him to help you to fixate on that so you can change. Don't mask it. Don't deny it. Don't shovel blame onto others, but own it. So, Point number two is see the real struggle. And then point number three, see Jesus mostly. If you don't exalt the Lord Jesus over your trouble, your trouble, your situation will swallow the Savior's grace and truth. He will become small. Your problems will become massive. Do not become a problem-centered Christian if you talk more about your issues than the sovereign God over your issues, over your troubles, you must turn and think differently about what's happening to you. God is in your trouble, and he's the primary point of your trouble. He brings trouble into our life, like in Jonah chapter 1, where it says God hurled a storm at at Jonah. Because God was working a bigger picture that Jonah could not see. And so the three points here, no big pictures guard your heart from wanting to know all of the information. Number two, see the real struggle. What may be going on inside your heart that you need to identify? You need to isolate it and work through it, but that is secondary And number three, the primary thing is see Jesus most of all. Sovereign Lord is over your trouble. You don't want your situation to swallow the Savior's grace or his truth. The title of the podcast is Letter to God. I need to die. Will you help me? If you would like to talk about this or maybe something else is on your mind, please let us serve you. It would be our privilege to do so. I just received a note today from India where someone received help from our ministry, and he came back to say thank you. And it was over a year ago, I believe. And so we do this wherever you are in the world. If you can hear this podcast, you have access to the Internet. We have free community forums that are underwritten, Uh, people who support our ministry. They're the ones that, honestly, humanly speaking, they permit us to do what we do. And so we can do this because we do have underwriters. We're a nonprofit organization, and people support us financially every month and every year. And so what you can, or one-time gifts. And so what you can do is come to our free community forums, ask your question. Of course, we do have a, the support community, and they would be on our private forums. But wherever you ask, ask. Let us help you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I trust you'll have a blessed day.